0: Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter 16. Uh-oh. We're going to continue this morning a, a series that we started some time ago, and I've entitled it Refocus. We are, and you're probably you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but our desire in this is we want to get a clearer view, a clearer picture of who Jesus is through the accounts of the Gospels, and we want to strip away a lot of the the, the things that's been added along in our, our wrong perceptions of who Jesus is and just get back and see him for who he is and for what he was doing uh, as he was on this earth ministering and was dealing with his disciples and things. So that's what we've been doing, and over the past several weeks, we've seen Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. They were hoping that he was going to stay there for the rest of their lives, that he was going to remain and that their ministry was going to continue just the way that it was at that time. But kind of like Paul in our first service, uh, God had bigger plans for them and uh, the Lord was going to go away. He was going to be crucified, buried, risen the third day, uh, ascended off to glory, and he was going to leave them here as his ambassadors as his mouthpiece, as his hands and his feet in this world to uh, to point the world to him. And so he was going to leave them to do that, but he wasn't going to leave them there unprepared. And so everything that he was doing was, uh, was pouring into their lives to prepare them, to get them ready for the work that he had for them to do later on. And so what we saw last week was that they had left the... Uh, the Jewish region and went into Gentile territory, the non-Jewish area. And uh, the Jews were very prejudiced against the Gentiles. They didn't like the Gentiles. They thought that they were God's chosen people. They thought that they were special and that God loved them and didn't like everyone else. So as Jesus is leading them out into Gentile territory, he is working to uh, expand their horizons, if you will. He is working to open up their eyes to the fact that God didn't just love the Jews; that He loved the world. And as He led them out into Gentile territory, they thought they were going for a rest. They thought they were going for a break. But Jesus knew differently. When He got there, He uh, ran into a Gentile lady, and this Gentile lady had a problem. Her daughter was possessed of a demon of a of an unclean spirit, and whenever she came to Jesus it seemed like at first that Jesus was ignoring her. And then after a little while, it seemed like Jesus was kind of pushing her away. But all those things he was doing in order to teach the disciples a little bit of a lesson, because this woman, though she was outside of God's chosen people, though she was rejected by his people, and though the disciples thought that they that she was rejected by God, that she had great faith. She had heard of Jesus. She knew who he was. She knew that he loved her and that he was capable of helping her. And so she persisted in following him and Jesus ends up replying, great is your faith. And he healed her daughter and she went away from that. And so what we learn from that and what the disciples hopefully learned from it is that none of us are worthy to come to Christ, but he invites us to come anyway. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of any merits that we have, but it's because of who Jesus is that we have any way, any means whatsoever of coming to him. Now the disciples, they thought, hey, we have this access because of our heritage, because of who we are, but none of us are worthy to come to him, but he takes us anyway. The second thing that they learned there was even his silence has a purpose, and he's still at work even when we can't see it. Mm -hmm. And so as Jesus was seemingly ignoring her, as he was a kind of giving a little bit of pushback. He had a purpose. He had a reason behind it. He was doing a bigger work that they didn't understand at that time. And we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school as well. It's kind of been a theme maybe lately. But anyway, uh, God is working even when we can't perceive it. Uh, The third thing that we saw is our faith is dependent on our view of God. If If you're praying and you're desiring and saying, God, increase my faith, Your faith is determined by the object your faith is in. Mm -hmm. And if you see God as being big, if you have a big God, then your faith can be big, right? Right. And so whenever we see God as being small, whenever we feel as if he can't handle our circumstances, when we feel as if he doesn't care about what's going on in our lives, it is those times that our faith is small because our God is small, right? Mm -hmm. But whenever we learn, Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, as we get into his word, as we learn about him and who he is and what he's like and the power that he possesses and the love that he has for us, then we get a proper perspective of who God is. We see him high and lifted up, as uh, I believe Isaiah said. And as we see him in that way, our faith is made large because our God is big. Okay. And then the last thing we saw is that whenever we remain faithful, we won't be disappointed. Even through the silence, even through the pushback, she continued pursuing Jesus. And at the end of it, God took care of her situation. And so we need to remain faithful throughout it all, and we will not be disappointed. So as we continue through our passage here, uh, after the, the lady last week, Jesus healed a multitude. Then he fed them. And remember, still in Gentile territory. So he was showing the disciples that he was no respecter of persons. Today, what we're going to be looking at is Jesus and his disciples are going to return back across the sea, and they're going to go back into Jewish territory. They're going to go back to their own people, if you will. And, of course, whenever they get there, they're going to be greeted by the Pharisees. Our favorite group of people, huh? I say that sarcastically. But anyway, they're going to be uh, greeted by the religious leaders and by the Pharisees, who are going to demand further proof of Jesus, as if all the things that he's already done is not proof enough. He's fed multitudes with the lunch of a little boy. He has walked on the sea. He has healed the blind. He has healed the lame. He has raised the dead. And they're saying, well, we still want more proof. But Jesus isn't going to give them more proof because if they haven't believed already, they're not going to believe. They have already determined, they have hardened their hearts toward him. They are unwilling to believe no matter what he shows them. And so he's going to turn away from them. He's going to walk away. He's going to get on a boat and travel back across the water. And he is going to use this opportunity to teach his disciples a little lesson. And hopefully it works to teach us a lesson as well. So if you will look at Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read the first 12 verses here. It says, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, uh, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, And there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have not, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember, the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand, that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how he bade them, uh, not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Let's go, to the Lord, in prayer. Lord, we come to you once again today. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. We thank you for this time that we have here. For each person who's gathered out here, we thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord, to learn and to grow. And we just pray, ask you that you would be with us today, Lord. That we would uh, learn this lesson from your scriptures. That we would be encouraged in our hearts and Lord, that we would beware as well. I just pray that you would do what's needed in each person's life here today. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would have and right away, and I pray, Lord, that you would just guide me. Lord, help me as I know I'm a feeble vessel, Lord, but I pray that you would use me anyway. We thank you so much for all that you do, and all these things I pray in Jesus' name, and amen. So as we look at verse number six is what I want to bring our attention to. It says, Take heed and beware. Take heed and beware. In other words, listen up and watch out, right? (laughs) He is drawing attention to some things. He is trying to give out a warning. We are constantly surrounded by warning labels and by different messages of warning, things for us to be careful of, for us to watch out for. From a very early age, we are taught different things to be on the lookout for. I can remember as I was. Young, being taught to identify different dangers around me, different things that could cause trouble in my life. We grew up in an area where there was plenty of uh, forests and woods, and uh, I learned to be watching out for snakes. I learned to watch out for thorns and thistles and nettles and things that could give me a bad day. (laughs) There were things that were instilled in me from a very young age that I need to be careful of because these things were potentially dangerous to me. Even living in Ireland now where there are no snakes – I still can't get away from this idea of constantly being on the watch out. If I'm going through some place that is uh, particularly brushy or overgrown or something, I'm still on the look for snakes. If I'm digging through a shed somewhere and there's rubbish that's piled up, I'm still looking out for one of those things to pop their head out and come after me. Because this has been instilled into me, I need to be aware. I need to look out. With having Melody running around, just little. Uh, We are constantly telling her, watch out, look out, be careful. Uh She takes off across the floor in the tile that we have. If there's just a little bit of water, uh, she hits that and she slides. She's down on her butt again, right? And so we're constantly telling her she's knocking her head off of things. She's got bruises now. But we're telling her, we're trying to teach her of things to be careful of. I remember whenever Emily was about Melody's age, and I've told this one before, I'll tell it again. But uh, whenever Emily was about Melody's age... Uh, Les was doing her hair and she had her straight iron out. Y'all remember the story? She had her straight iron out and she always told Emily, "Don't touch it. It's hot." And one day Les turned her back for just a second, and Emily reached up and she touched it, and she burned her fingers. And after that, she started. Every time she would look at that thing, she would point at it and say, hot, hot, hot. <laughs> and she learned to stay away from that learned that it was hot. She uh, got a, a repeat lesson this past week. She got uh, burned again. But anyway, she's still learning these lessons of what to be aware of and what to be looking out for. And so we were watching these things all throughout our life, many different things. If you're walking through the streets, you've got to be aware of traffic. You've got to be aware of uh, strangers and weirdos, right? Right. <laughs> Having four girls, I'm constantly trying to instill in them to be aware of their surroundings, of paying attention of what's going on around them. And so what Jesus is teaching his disciples here, he is telling them there are some things they need to be aware of, they need to be watching out for. And generally these things that we need to be aware of and watch out for, the things that require warning labels and these kind of things, Are often hidden, they're often subtle, they're things that we can be upon before we even realize it, that oftentimes we are already reaping the consequences before we ever even realize the danger was there. And so we need this forewarning. And so as Jesus was looking at his disciples, he says there are some dangers in this life for them that if they are not watchful, if they are not paying attention, if they're not careful, it's going to catch them off guard, and it's going to trip them up. It's going to give them a bad day and possibly a bad life if they are not aware ahead of time. Now, the things that we're going to be talking about, they are spiritual things today. Uh, And Jesus, remember, he's talking to his disciples, so it would be the equivalent. He's he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to believers of things that are specifically going to be troublesome for them, right? Right. And so as he is giving them these warnings and instructing them, he draws a a picture, an object lesson here. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, if you're familiar with what leaven is, leaven is a raising agent for bread. It is something such as yeast that you put in the bread, and it goes to work, and it causes it to rise. It causes it to puff up and become airy and soft, and it's a, desire, a desirable thing in bread. But all throughout the Bible, it is a, an illustration of something negative, an illustration of something bad, because leaven is a corrupting force. Okay. Whenever you put leavening in bread, it starts breaking down the dough. It starts causing gases to be released and fermentation to take place. And that's what causes the bread to rise. And so it is a breaking down, it is a corrupting that takes place within that dough that makes it rise like that. That's why they, they have this illustration, this picture. So hopefully you can stay on board with me as we go through this. Okay. And so, anyway, with the leavening, mm-hmm. just a little bit placed into the dough at first is easily undetectable you don't see it you can't perceive that it's there but give it a little bit of time and it goes to work and very soon it permeates the entire lump of dough it goes throughout the entire lump of dough and it fundamentally changes its characteristics it fundamentally changes what that dough is and makes it act different makes it react differently right And so the picture that he's trying to paint for the disciples is that there is something small, something imperceptible, something that is subtle that can enter into your life and that it can begin to corrupt you before you realize it. And it can affect everything about you. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to recognize it ahead of time so that it doesn't take root in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, the disciples originally, they said, leaven, leaven has to do with bread. He's saying this because we didn't bring bread with us, right? And so Jesus stops and he calls their attention. He says, I just took seven loaves and fed 4,000 people. I just took five loaves and fed 5,000 people. Do you think bread is a problem for me? Do you think I'm upset about bread? And they said, oh, okay, now we get it. This is another one of your object lessons, and it says here at the end of this, verse number 12, then understood how they, or how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so now we know what the, the leaven is, what the danger is, what he's warning them of, and it is doctrine. It is teaching. That's what doctrine means, right? And so beware of their teachings, beware of their instruction, of their ideology, their way of thinking, okay? And so you need to be aware of this because it creeps in. And I believe that for us as Christians, that this warning is also applicable to us today. As the disciples needed to learn back then that there were things that would creep into their lives and would cause them to, uh, to become corrupted in their beliefs and in their heart and in their faith The same thing still exists for us today. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And we are going to uh, learn about these corrupting forces, these different belief systems. And so we saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But there's also another group. If we look at the parallel passage in Mark, I'm not going to turn over there. But in Mark, Mark has a different audience. Matthew is writing to Jews. Mark is writing to Gentiles. And Mark records, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod or the Herodians. Okay? So we have three different groups that we are taught to be aware of. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. We're going to look at them today, look at what their doctrine, what their teaching is, and how that has an effect on us now. Okay. So the first group that we're going to look at is the Pharisees. They're, they're one of our favorite to pick on, aren't they? We talk a great deal about them. They end up being somewhat of a punching bag because they were the ones who were constantly chasing after Jesus. They were the ones that were constantly causing him problems. They seemed like the ringleaders of opposition to Christ. Therefore, we don't like them, right? But at the time, the Pharisees were seen as being the religious elite. They were the ones that had the most rules. They had the most laws. They were the ones that lived the most pious and outwardly righteous lives. But Jesus tells them that they are hypocrites. Okay? What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is an actor. It is someone who is playing a part. And so he says, "You are just playing a part that who you are pretending to be is not who you really are." And so he calls them a hypocrite. But as we look at their their point of view as we look at their teaching, their doctrine, what they did is they worshiped religion. They worshipped religion. They had long since left God, and they had turned to religion to be their God. And the reason I say this, they started out being a good group. They started out being the good guys. That in the time after the Jews had returned from exile, that uh, this group had formed, and they were the fundamentalists. They were the ones who had taken the original teachings of Moses and of, of God, And they had compiled these and said, we have went off into exile because we've abandoned our God. We don't want to do that again. So we're going to take it upon ourselves to teach the people the truths of God's word. And we're going to draw them back to the truths of God's word and teach them how to worship God. But as they became leaders, as they became the religious examples, they began adding to the word of God. They began piling up traditions. They began adding all these extra rules. And we've talked about them many times before, but they started making this whole religious system and they started making their identity in how well they performed like a bunch of performers, right? Right. A bunch of actors. They started making it all about how well they could keep all of these traditions, how well they could keep all of these rules, how pious and religious they could look outwardly, and they had long since left caring for the things of God. We find in the book of Revelation that there is one of the churches that receive a letter that it says that they had left their first love, And that is what happened to the Pharisees, that they had ceased serving God. They had ceased trying to cause the people to fall in love with the truths of God's word and to seek after him. And instead, they had convinced the people to uh, adhere to this corrupt outside facade of religion. And so everything was based on how well they could play the game. Everything was based on how well people could fit into this religious structure that they had. And it ended up resulting in all sorts of pride and in arrogance and contention and in judgmentalism and condemnation. And so the Pharisees ended up being the ones that thought that they were better than everyone else, that would proclaim all of their religiosity to everyone else, and they would look down on anyone who didn't do the game as well as they did. And Jesus says, beware of their eleven. Beware of their doctrine. And so the reason why he's telling the disciples this is the disciples are following him. They are zealous. They are serving him. They know the truth. They are going to be his mouthpiece. They are going to be instructing people. They're going to be an example to people. And if they're not careful, they will fall into the same trap that the Pharisees did. They're going to turn Christianity into the same type of thing that the Pharisees turned Judaism in if they are not careful, if they are not watchful, and they're going to start bringing all these extra biblical things in. They're going to bring all their preferences and all of their traditions, and they're going to pile up all these things, and they are going to put the spotlight on themselves and say, look at how well we're performing. Look at what God is doing through us. Look at all of the great things that we have done, and then they're going to be looking at the people around them and saying, you are wicked and you are ungodly and you're not good enough. We're up here, you're down here. That is what they were risking doing. We find that as we've been looking through the book of Acts in our first service, that this was something that was creeping in in the first century church, that the Pharisees became Christians and they tried to uh, do the same things to Christianity that they had done to Judaism. And they started trying to uh, condemn the, the Gentiles. They tr- tried to start bringing in uh, law-keeping and uh, basically score-keeping, right, into Christianity. And Paul went to great lengths to combat this false teaching, to combat this doctrine, to get rid of the leaven out of the loaf. Right. He tried his best to do that. And so we can see that in the church back then, but if we're not careful, it's still alive and well today. And Christianity is at times a performance. We are tempted to try to lift up ourselves. We are tempted to take pride in our efforts, in our abilities, in how well we adhere to the systems, how well we play the games we look the part, we smell the part, we dress the part, all of these different things. And we think because of that, that impresses God. And we begin worshiping the religion rather than having a relationship with God. We begin worshiping this institution and this thing that we have built and this thing that we have constructed. And we leave God at the door and he's far away from it. And this is something that we have to be aware of because we start becoming judgmental, we start becoming condemning to the very same people that God has sent us to be a witness and to be a light to. See, what ended up happening with the Jews, with the Pharisees, is they were supposed to be a light to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be showing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the country surrounding them. And instead, they put up walls around them and said, you're unclean, we are clean, you're bad, we're good and they pushed everyone away from themselves. And if we're not careful, we do the very same thing. Whenever we are supposed to be Christ in this land which we inhabit, whenever we are supposed to be living as a witness and as a light before the people around us, if we get lifted up with pride, if we make our lives about playing the part, about looking the part, about worshiping the religion instead of the Creator, then we're going to have problems, but we all have that tendency, and I believe it's because of pride. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be careful whenever we start seeing some of these things creep into our lives, there's a little bit of leaven, and the Bible says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump, right? And so if you have some of these things creeping into your life, you have leaven in your loaf, (laughs) okay? And you need to be aware, you need to be watching out for those things. The second thing that we find here is we find the Sadducees. Now, we talk about the Sadducees maybe a little bit less than we do the Pharisees. The Sadducees, I guess we could put it this way. The, The Pharisees were the conservative group, and the Sadducees were the liberal group. We can relate to that today, right? Conservative versus liberal. And neither of them were good. I'll just put that out there. But anyway, so the Sadducees, instead of worshiping Christ, instead of worshiping God, They worshiped their self and society. They were pragmatists. In other words, they were the ones that were compromisers. The ends justifies the means. And so they were willing to compromise with anyone. Uh, They were, as I said, the liberals of the day. They were critical of God and of the things of God and of his word. And they used his word like a buffet. They picked and chose the things that they would believe and the things that they would discard. They said, I like this part. I'll keep it. I don't like that part. I'll get rid of it. They were the rationalists. They saw themselves as being the ones who were enlightened and scholarly and intelligent because they rejected much of the teachings of God's word or they explained them away or they allegorized them. They said, well, it doesn't actually mean this. It means that this wasn't meant to actually be taken literally, but it was figurative. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Many liberals of today are doing the very same thing, trying to explain away the things of God and pick and choose the things of God. And so as we look at the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in devils. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They certainly weren't going to believe in the virgin birth, right? And so they were picking and choosing the things that they would believe, and they were saying, we are far too advanced and too civilized to believe these superstitious things, and so they cast those aside. Uh, The Sanhedrin, the the religious council of the Jews, was actually predominantly made up of Sadducees. They were able to uh, compromise with enough people and to be uh, uh, palatable to enough people that they were in positions of influence and of control. And so that's where they had gotten to. And so they were compromisers. They were willing to trade truth for acceptance, for power, and for comfort. And so this really highlights the the growing aspect of leaven. You take a little bit of leaven, you put it into the bread, and then it starts to eat away and to continue growing and growing until it has corrupted the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we start compromising, when we begin to doubt or we start to pick and choose what we believe and what we discard when we make ourselves the authority, when we make society and supposed scholarship, the authority over God's word. And we decide that we're only going to accept the things which we find acceptable. We have a problem and there's no end to it. Mm -hmm. before you know it. The Bible has been cut all apart and discarded most of it. And we are left with a powerless and vain religion that is nothing to do with what God intended it to be. It ends up destroying us. It destroys our faith that we claim to hold. And this was something the disciples had to be aware of because there is always the temptation to compromise. Mm -hmm. Whenever you start teaching an absolute truth, whenever you start teaching that God is the authority, that God's word is right, then people will take exception to that. Mm -hmm. People will get upset about that, and the temptation comes, well, if I would just back off of this position, if I would just ease up a little bit here, if I would just let go of that, it's not really going to hurt anything, and it's going to open up opportunities for me, so I can just deny this or ignore that, right? And the disciples were going to be confronted with this oftentimes. Whenever, think about Peter, for instance, whenever they said, We'll quit beating you, we'll quit imprisoning you if you'll just uh, if you'll just quit preaching this message. Y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. And he said, Is it right for me to obey men or to obey God? And he continued serving God, right? The Sadducees would have said, Okay, well, let's compromise. Let's work this out. Let's cut a deal, right? Yeah. And so many have fallen into this trap today. Uh, there's things such as theistic evolution. You've heard of that? Mm-hmm. It's an attempt to try to bring together the creation account of God's word with the scientific theories of today of trying to bring about God created all things, but science says there's millions and billions of years. And so it is a compromise that's taking place. And they said, well, we're trying to satisfy both groups. We find that the more things that are sinful, according to Scripture, that become commonplace in society, we start saying, well, maybe we can change our position here. Maybe God didn't really mean it when he said that. Maybe he wouldn't care. You know, times have changed. Society is different. Maybe God has changed, but the Bible says that God changes not. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's seen it as sinful and abominable back then, it still is today. Right? If we start looking at the Bible and saying, well, there's errors in it. If we start focusing on God's love and we forget his holiness. If we start taking things out of the Bible figuratively instead of literally. If we start doubting and becoming critical of God and of his word, then there is leaven in our loaf. We need to be careful because there's no end to it, and we will deny the very truths of the God that created us if we allow this to creep in to our lives or into our church. Yeah. The third group that I want to look at here is one that we rarely ever talk about. Okay, You may not be familiar with them, but in Mark, uh, he talks about uh, Herod or the Herodians. Remember hearing them mentioned in, in the Bible in different times? The Herodians were a political group that were aligned with the Herod dynasty. Now, you've heard the name Herod. There were several of them. Mm-hmm. If you try to study them out, it gets confusing because all of them have the same name and they rule at different times and you can't figure out who's who. Yeah. Okay. But they are all part of the same corrupt dynasty. They are all wicked men. But what they are is they were a group of leaders and of kings puppet kings really that were in place by permission of rome remember rome was ruling over israel at the time and so there was this dynasty of herods that had made an allegiance with the romans so that they could hold on to power within israel and they had a group that followed them is everybody still following me yes okay they had a group that followed them that were hoping that the Herod dynasty would be able to throw off Rome's control and that the Herods would rule Israel as an independent and sovereign nation without Rome. In short, they were hoping that the Herods would be a messiah, a false messiah over them, even though they didn't fit any of the prophecies or any of the word of God. And so what happened here is the people's hope was political. They started worshiping government and politics rather than worshiping God. That's kind of startling, isn't it? But if we think about it for just a minute, we can see it happening today as well. And so as they were worshiping this government, as they were worshiping the Herod dynasty, they were looking at these guys, as if they were the heroes, as if they were the ones that could finally give victory, as if they were the ones that could finally beat Rome, as if they were the ones who were actually in control. As I said, government was their God, and they thought that government was going to take care of them, right? For the disciples, they had to be careful that their hope stayed in God and not in government. They had to be careful of this, especially in times of persecution, because it would be very easy for them to say, well, if we were just to get the right leader in office, if they would just pass the right legislation, if we could just uh, have these things to line up in our favor, then we could abide peacefully. Then the gospel could go forward. The church could grow. Things would be great, If only government would get straightened out. Does that sound familiar to you guys? See, God is in control and he is even sovereign over elections. He's even sovereign over politics. And whenever we get tied up in this idea of government and of man actually being in control, when we forget that God is ruling, whenever we forget that God is on the throne, we start putting our hope in men. We start throwing off the truths of God's word. We start making compromise with these different corrupt officials, thinking that they can be our hero whenever God is our hero, when God is our king. Even throughout our study in Kings on uh, Wednesday night, we've seen that God was able to give the people of Israel corrupt and wicked leaders whenever the people were corrupt and wicked, right? Mm -hmm. They were looking for a king. They were looking for one like the, the nations around them that was going to bring them deliverance and fight their wars and all those things. We saw that in Israel, but we also saw it in Jesus' day, and we've seen it many days since then, thinking that government was the solution rather than being the problem, right? Right. We see all this come into effect in the fourth century after Christ. We see that the churches had uh, suffered much persecution. They had compromised like the Sadducees that had crept in. And then they had been persecuted under Constantine until Constantine offered up an alliance. Remember this? We talked about it in history and whatnot. Constantine offered up an alliance and said, if you will come under me, then you can have peace, you can have safety, you can have security, and you can have freedom. The gospel can go out, the churches can grow, if you will put your trust in the government rather than in God. A little leaven had leavened the whole lump. And there was much compromise that took place. There was much wickedness. Their hope was not in God, but in men. And it wasn't just in that time. It's been all the way down through. You look at church history and how many times Christians have compromised with governments and Christians have uh, had these unholy alliances with governments thinking that Jesus was wanting to rule over nations. If Jesus wanted to rule over nations, wouldn't he have done it back then? See, the thing is, Jesus wasn't interested in ruling over nations. He was interested in something much bigger and much more spiritual. Mm -hmm. He didn't come to save Israel from Rome. He didn't come to deliver us from corrupt politicians. He came to deliver us from Satan and the forces of hell. He came to offer up salvation for us, to forgive us of our sins, to secure our home in heaven. And one day he will rule over this earth. But if you're putting your trust in government, if you're putting your trust in your religious adherences, if you are trying to compromise and fit in with this world, there is leaven in your lump. There are some things that are misplaced here because God is in control, God is in charge, and God wants us, not our activities, not our governments, not all these other things that we put so much hope in, God wants us to look to Him, to follow Him, let Him lead the way, let Him be in charge, and let Him work all things together for good. He wants us to do that. And if we're not careful... If we're not watchful, these things slip in and creep in. We try to get proud of our uh, religious performance. We try to fit in with the nations which we live in and fit in with this world which we live in. We try to gain power or gain even sometimes comfort from the governments that are over us when in reality we need to just be seeking after God and allowing Him Mm -hmm. to work that which is perfect and right in His eyes. And so we can't let religion, society, or government take the place of God. And so the final thing that I want to look at today is why was it that the disciples, and why is it that we today are so susceptible to the leaven of these groups? Why is it that we're looking to either our performance or to be accepted by society or to get the preferential treatment of government and things like that? Why is those things so important to us? And I think the key to that is what we read in verses uh, 5 through 10. i we'll read a little bit of this here. In Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 5, And when the disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Look at where their attention was. Look at where their eyes was. Look at where their minds was, okay? Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, "O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye you have brought no bread? Do ye not understand neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the, lo- the seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, but that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees?" The disciples' minds, their eyes, their attention was on the temporary. It was on this world. It was on this life. It was on how they could take care of things and control things down here. It was how they could get advantage here. And they weren't paying any attention to the fact that they were with Christ. They weren't paying any attention to the fact that God was in their boat. They were paying attention to what was in their pantry. They weren't paying any attention to the fact that Jesus had just miraculously provided over and above all of these things. And they said, We have one loaf left. What are we going to do with this? In our lives, we get so focused on the here and the now. Mm -hmm. We get so focused on our jobs, on our homes, on our families, on our day to day living. We want to pay the bills. We want to do all of these things. And we get so focused on this, we forget that we belong to God. We forget that Jesus is in our boat. We forget all of the promises of God's word. If you belong to him, he has promised us he's going to take care of us. He says in one place, if you seek seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will take care of our temporal needs. If our focus, our attention is on him. And so for us today... If we are focused on this life, if our hope is in this world, Paul said that if my hope is in this world, I'm of all men most miserable, right? If our hope is, if our focus is in this world, if all of our attention is on the things of this life, if we are focused on bread instead of the bread of life, we are going to have trouble and we are going to be susceptible to taking in this leaven. We're going to get focused on our religious performance. We're going to compromise with everyone just for the sake of gaining influence or being accepted. We're going to be looking to the next uh, political leader to to make the church great again. right? (laughs) We're going to be looking to these things and putting our hope in this rather than in God who we should be hoping in. And that is why we are susceptible to it. We need to get our focus. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. We need to understand if you are born again, if you have been saved, if you have trusted Christ as your savior to forgive your sins and to save your soul, you belong to him. He has taken responsibility for you and for your life, and if you will follow after him, if you'll keep your eyes on him, if you will allow him to work in your life, he will take care of the things down here, and you're not going to have to fall in to these corrupt ways of religion but instead you can follow him and allow him to work abundantly in your life and bring about the things that he wants to bring in your life. Right. You're not going to be worried about the bread whenever you have the bread of life. Right. Let's go to the word in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much, Lord, for this passage that we have. And I know in our lives we are so uh, so apt to start looking at all these things in our flesh and. Uh, get our focus, our attention on this world. Help us, Lord, to keep our focus, our attention on you. Help us, Lord, not to allow this leaven to creep into us and to corrupt us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to make our God religion or ourselves or society, not to make it government, but help us, Lord, to allow you that proper place in the throne of our lives. Help us, Lord, to lift you up. And Lord, we just ask you just to be with each person here today that you would do the needed work in each life. I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this message and this word as you see fit. And Lord, I just pray thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being so good. We do love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray and amen.